Well, we have been looking forward to this sermon for a while. Um, we were going to start it so a couple weeks ago, and actually we were planning on starting it all the way back in June, um, but with the pandemic and everything, things have gotten changed around and moved around and so on. So uh, I am very excited that we are starting this uh, sermon series today, uh, the sermon series on Scripture alone, sola scriptura. Now, <clears throat> there was a lot done on this subject and the five solas just uh, three years ago. Three years ago was the 500th anniversary of uh, the Reformation when all of this uh, came out in 1517. In 1517, we are all very familiar on October 23rd, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the chapel. And this is something we're all familiar with. And we're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to talk about what happened in there uh, in that time with Martin Luther and the 95 Theses and the Reformation and how all of that plays into how we understand and why we have these five solas. Now, I, don't want, us to under, I want us to make sure we understand that all of this uh, was always in Scripture. This was not a new thing that had come out, something that the Reformers and Martin Luther just came up with and thought, hey, this would be a good idea. This, this kind of fits. This is what these men were studying in, uh, in the Bible and uh, was suppressed by the religion of that day, and they were able to bring it back out. And so understand, this was not something new. This has always been in Scripture and a part of Scripture, the understanding that Scripture stands alone uh, with authority. So that's what we're going to be endeavoring and to get into this morning. We're going to give some background, some history on it, and uh, we're going to hit uh, all five of these uh, subjects in the next five weeks. So Scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, and to the glory of God alone is what we are going to, uh, uh, our sermon series is to uh, touch on the next five weeks. So we are uh, very excited. I know Tyler is uh, super excited as well uh, to be able to share uh, these uh, foundational and amazing truths out of God's Word. But let's uh, start with a word of prayer and then uh, we'll, we'll get into the sermon this morning. Lord, we thank you uh, for uh, the men that have gone before us and women, Lord, that have fought and um, have proclaimed your truth throughout the centuries and, and given their lives, Lord, uh, for the topic of Scripture and the, the five solas and, and fighting for the truths in the Word of God to be proclaimed and to be uh, the sole and infallible truth, Lord. And Lord, uh, we uh, pray, Lord, that we would do justice in handling your Word this morning and that I would speak clearly and Lord, that it would be an encouragement and a strengthening this morning as we understand the importance of your word and, and where it has come from, Lord. And uh, again, we, we just pray for your strength, Lord. And uh, we thank you for your word and the God that you are. In your name, amen. So I want to give some background again. Um, we are often, or we are very familiar, and if 
you listen to a lot of sermons on on YouTube or on different medias, uh, three years ago you would have been flooded with information about the Reformation and and about these topics. They are, uh, but. Uh, I'm going to bring them back up because I think they're important to, to our history. They're important to, uh, to what we recognize as, what we, uh, as we get into this. Now, what I want to make sure you understand is there's a very good chance throughout all five of these sermon series that you're going to hear the same thing reiterated. Um, I know that Tyler is going to bring out a lot of history of our church fathers and, and what has been taught down through the centuries, and which is a very good thing. So if you hear Tyler say the same things as I'm saying, and then when I get up after Tyler and I say some of the same things, hopefully it's going to ingrain into your heart and your mind the truths of these five solas and where they came from. And it's important, you know, in our society today, we are trying to get rid of history, right? Good, bad, it doesn't matter what kind of history it is, we're trying to dismiss it or get rid of it. And that is definitely not something we want to do when it comes to church history and the history of where we get Scripture and how Scripture has been passed down through the church fathers throughout all of um, these thousands of years and hundreds of years. Um, we don't want to lose sight of the importance of what these men gave their lives uh, and, and their life for is fighting for the Word of God and the truth we find in it. So Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses. How many of you would say that you are, have you actually read all 95 of those? Okay, a few of us. Okay. Uh, I, I endeavored to do that through my studies. Now, what I want you to understand as we uh, start talking about Martin Luther at this specific time in uh, 1517, he was not fully where he was uh, later in his life. Okay, so if you read through the 95 theses, it kind of you you have to pick and look at it and say. Well, there it sounds like he's on the Pope's side, and here it doesn't, and, and, and you, you kind of might scratch your head. Martin Luther, when he nailed that thesis to the chapel there, um, was not uh, considered a Protestant at that time. He wasn't considered uh, the way we would view him now. He was still a Catholic monk. And what was a very common thing, most of us understand that when they nailed that to the door of the chapel, this was a common thing done is where you would put up bulletins and, and flyers and so on. But what actually was happening there, a very common thing in the day that Luther was in, uh, today when we see our universities get together and, and uh, compete, it's usually in what, basketball or football or, or track or in those type and sporting events is the way our universities compete against each other. In the 15th and 16th hundreds, actually in the, the 14th, 15th, and 16th hundreds, a very common way that the universities would get together and begin to, to have uh, competitions between each other was in the area of debate. They would have all kinds of theological debates and, and uh, just any kind of debate you might think of. Society debates, uh, um, you know, they would have debates on science and mathematics and all kinds of stuff. And that's what 
very common way of, if you want to say, sports between the universities of that day was in the, the idea of debate. And so when Martin Luther here nailed that there, he was desiring to start a debate with the universities uh, and with the, the scholars of that day on these issues. Now, the majority of the issues in the 95 Theses was around, uh, or not the majority, there's a large portion of it that talks about the Pope's authority. It talks about indulgences and all of these things uh, that are in there. Uh, there's a lot in those 95 Theses that the, the Catholic Church was not in line with what Scripture would teach. They were giving complete authority to the Pope, and he was refuting that in that, in that uh, thesis. And, and indulgence were a major part of the Catholic Church at this time. They were trying to build St. Paul's uh, Cathedral there in, in Rome, uh, in the Vatican, and there was lots and lots of money given uh, to uh, the church through the the meeting and 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 getting pen, uh, penance and being able to get your sins forgiven by a certain amount of money and depending on how you how wealthy you were or how much money you had or your status it would depend on how much that sin cost and if you were wealthy your sins were more expensive because you could pay more money and if you were poor your sins were not. And I, I, through my research, I, I, I came across several different uh, interesting stories. There was this man, I, I don't recall his name, uh, but he was a well-off man, and he came to a bishop and, uh, and, and asked, can I pay for indulgence for a sin I haven't yet committed? Can I, can, is that something that's allowed? And uh, the, the man kind of thought for a second and you know, their, their whole goal here was to raise as much money as possible. And so uh, he said, yes, you can actually uh, pay for a sin you haven't yet committed. So he paid the fee or whatever it was, got the letter. They were given a letter using whatever uh, was going to happen. The man that got the indulgence uh, left uh, and, and went on his way. And the, the, the man that gave the indulgence out, the, the bishop, uh, was heading to another town with his little caravan. And on that way, the man that was given the indulgence by this priest attacked him and beat them up and, and robbed them and did all kinds of mean things to them. And the bishop there said, well, what are you doing? He said, well, you gave me permission to do this by giving me, by allowing me to pay the indulgence for a sin I haven't yet committed. And he showed him the letter and the man could say nothing because he was already forgiven for it by the man that he robbed. And so that was things that were going on. There was a lot of abuse in the indulgence. And obviously, are abuse in and of themselves because Scripture is very clear on who can give forgiveness. There's only one that can give forgiveness, and that's Jesus Christ. And that is what Luther was trying to um, explain and, and try to get across in his ninety feet uh, and parts of his theses there. And so that's what the culture around his day with the church uh, was very much in these 
putting as much money to build their their Vatican and the the St. Paul's Cathedral there, and or, no uh, Peter's um, Cathedral. So um, this is the main thrust behind uh, the the theses, and the idea is that it is faith alone. Major part of the Reformation and what came out is what Tyler's going to preach on next week. And so I'm not going to say too much about it. But faith alone was an essential part of what Luther was uh, attacking uh, them with. Saying that it is only faith alone that we base our salvation on. It's not repentance, it's not the Pope's forgiveness, it's not works, it's not all of these things. And so the two real big parts of these five solas, and they're all major, but or where sola scriptura and faith is what really started this, and obviously the others were uh, added. As you look at Scripture, they must be as important. And not one is shown as more important than the other. You can't say that Scripture is more important than faith, and you can't say that faith is more important than grace, and that grace is more important than Christ, and that the glory, they all are equal. They all are of vital importance on how we understand salvation and how God works. And so this is what Luther um, was combating. Now, Luther was a studier as a monk of uh, the Bible. And he come to realize as he studied the Bible that he was spending more than six hours a day in the confessional booth. Okay, confessing the sins that he was committing as a, as a monk. And the, the men in the monastery and the, 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 the priests that he was confessing to were kind of scratching their heads a little bit thinking, you're a monk. How many sins can you really commit in a day? You're by yourself reading the Bible, okay? And, but Luther was convinced that he was a wretched sinner. And he was even convinced that he was possibly could be sinning in his sleep. And so he was always in the confessional booth. And so the men were getting kind of tired of the hours of confessional. And so they said, we're going to kind of commission you to do something. And so they commissioned him to get his doctorate in theology, they did not know what they were doing when they did that. Um, Luther um, began to get his doctorate studies done, and he got a doctorate and became a professor at the University of Wittenberg. Okay? And Luther studied these particular books in depth. Okay, it took him a year to study out the book of Psalms, and then another year, the book of Romans, and then again another year, the book of Galatians and Hebrews, and then he re-went through Psalms again. These were, these were ones that he had written commentaries on. And if you're going to find the sufficiency of Scripture, and if you're going to understand who Christ is and how salvation works, these, uh, these books that he studied are really going to give you an in-depth understanding of that. And this is where he was able, uh, this was his area of expertise. So he nailed the, in, 19, or in uh, 1517, in October, he nailed that thesis. It was a year later, in 1518, that he got his debate. 
All right, and uh, um, if you want to know the names of these individuals, you can come up and look at my notes. They are here. I can't pronounce them. All right, and so, but they were Catholic theologians and a cardinal in 18, or 19, or 1518 uh, in um, Augsburg. He had his first debate, okay? And the cardinal stated that the Pope was the final arbitrary of Scripture, Okay, this was the argument from the cardinal there. And Luther refuted the statement by saying that the Pope abused Scripture, denying he is above Scripture. Now you have to understand how big of a deal that is. You are defying the Pope, and if you defy the Pope in that day, you could be sentenced to a... a burning at the stakes, any kind of cruelty that they, because they would count you as a heretic. You did not come out against the Pope. This was a major undertaking and a major deal for Luther to stand there and say that I do not believe the Pope has the supreme authority over Scripture, but Scripture has authority of itself. And it does not need the Pope's or the church's permission or clarification in what it teaches. And so um, that debate ended there. And again, Luther had another debate uh, the next year. Uh, and he uh, debated another uh, theologian uh, in a town that I cannot uh, pronounce. <laughs> Luther again... Um, was challenged with the thought that the Pope is the supreme authority on earth. And he is the one that has supreme authority to tell you what Scripture means and what uh, you ought to do in life and, and how you should conduct yourself. And again, uh, Luther refuted that and said, no, the Pope is not the one that has the supreme authority. And they accused him of being no different than the, a man uh, years earlier than him was John Huss. Now, John Huss was uh, in the 13 and 14, early, or late 13, early 1400s, uh, was when he lived. And really, John Huss was one of the beginners that beginning the starts of the Reformation. Now, we give the credit here in, uh, to Martin Luther, but men like he, uh, John Huss, which a hundred years before him, were the ones that were on this pathway already. And these men were being martyred for the faith of, of uh, the Scriptures. And here, John Huss <coughs> was called to defend his Position and the church said, "Come, you will be. Uh, there will be no harm given you. You can come, and everything will be just fine. And give your position on what you teach, what you what you believe." And so he did that. He came. Uh, he gave his position on what he believed in Scripture and and how he believed Scripture was the final authority, and that the Pope had uh, no authority to dictate what Scripture said. And they uh, counted him as a heretic there, and they burned John Huss uh, in 1415 at the stake. And so Luther, as a scholar, would have known that John Huss uh, was a 
uh, a martyr, or not a martyr, but a heretic. That's what he would have always believed because he was a Catholic monk, and so he would have not uh, thought uh, highly of this man. And so they called him in that debate, and they said, you were nothing, uh, you were just like uh, John Huss. And, and that was uh, surprising to him, and he was taken back. And so they had a break, and he went into the library, and he found some books and some writings that John Huss uh, had, had in there, and he began to read them through the break, and came to understand that he wasn't a heretic, but he was a true believer of the Word of God, and he was believing the same things Luther was. And so he came back in that debate and said, I am a Hussite, which that's a big deal, right? This man was burned to death uh, for believing the things. And so Luther proclaimed that the things that John Huss was learning and dealing with and, and bringing out in his day is the same thing that I believe today. And so I agree and affirm what he is saying. And this was what spurred on the, the, the movement of the Reformation was this major debate that was going on that Scripture is uh, sufficient in of itself and does not need the, the Pope to say whether it's true or give clarity to it. Scripture is clear by itself and what it teaches. And if you are not teaching what Scripture teaches, then you are in error. And that is what really was spurring on the Reformation. And that's what was going on at this time. And so Sola Scriptura and these other uh, five Sola, or the four Solas, or five altogether, is what came out of this type of debates that were going on. And the debate really was between the Catholic Church at that time and talking about how Scripture itself was the final authority. So that gives us some, some background on why we study these five. And now we're going to kind of get into actual sola scriptura and what it means. Now there is some confusion on what sola scripture means. And I'm going to tell you what it means. I'm going to tell you what it doesn't mean or, uh, and give you some ideas on what it's not talking about. And then we're going to dive into some, some passages okay, and, and look at what Scripture says uh, about itself. Now, this sermon could last for uh, multiple hours. Okay, multiple, multiple hours. And so for you that are, are studiers of God's Word, if I don't hit every t uh, passage that uh, talks about Scripture and its importance, know that we don't have that much time because it is full. All right, we, it's, it's in Deuteronomy. It's all through the Old Testament and it's in through the Gospels and it's through Acts and it's through Romans and it's through Galatians and it's throughout the entirety of Scripture talks about how efficient Scripture is in and of itself. And so if I don't hit every passage, hopefully you'll uh, understand that and not uh, uh, think that I left something out. Um, but for the sake of time, I, I just chose some, some ones that uh, I felt were, uh, were tied into uh, what we were talking about directly today. All right, so Scripture, and again, this might probably be a little longer than a normal message of mine. Um, but, hey, we're having fun, so there we go. Scripture 
are, scriptures are the sole infallible rule of faith for the church. Since scriptures are God-breathed, they cannot be, nothing can be higher authority than God's himself. Okay? He is the highest authority, and Scripture is breathed out by God, and so therefore He is the highest authority. Scripture alone is the rule for faith, for salvation, and obedience. And when the first, uh, this is, there's just going to be some uh, quick verses that we're going to look at, and then we're going to get to uh, two main texts, and in, the, in those texts there's going to be several verses. Now I'm going to endeavor to read all of these, um, Everyone in here knows me and knows that sometimes that can, uh, I can say words that maybe aren't there or stop and pause at a word. All right, if I stop or if I skip a word, that does not mean I'm not meaning that that word is important. I'm just trying to keep the flow. You have your Bible and so you can read it yourself, all right? I have uh, dyslexia. And so the more I read, sometimes uh, it, can, it can show up more. So... Just know that if there's some fumbling there, that's what it is. I, uh, I'm not, some people have said, well, Mark, you seemed a little nervous today. You know, as a teacher of God's Word, you're always slightly nervous, right, Tyler? You're handling God's Word. I'm not nervous to speak, all right? I, I'm not nervous to speak. So if you hear me fumbling, it's just the way God wired my brain. So um, you can take it up with him when we get to heaven, all right? So... Matthew chapter number 22, Matthew 22 and verse 31 uh, is where we're going to see um, our first uh, passage here on God is the one that is the one that authored and uh, breathed out scripture. Matthew 22, 31 but regarding the resurrection, now this is, uh, Jesus is having a conversation about the resurrection and about God's, uh, the spirit and of scripture. And it talks about that in verse 29. He's having a conversation with uh, uh, some individuals here and he makes this statement. And I think it's very important for us to see here that God is the author of Scripture. But regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read... Okay, this is important. Follow the, the, the logic of the writer here, uh, which is God through, through uh, Matthew here. But, how, uh, but regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? Okay, this is a reference to Scripture. Have you not read what was spoken to you by God? God breathed. When it says God in, in what Tyler read for us here in Timothy, for 2 Timothy, it talks about uh, Scripture is in, uh, inspired or God breathed. He spoke out the, the words to man through the Holy Spirit. And so that is uh, uh, a very important thing for us to understand is that Scripture comes from God. It does not come from man. God used men to write it through the Holy Spirit. And so all Scripture is given to us by God and therefore profitable because of that. Something that I want us to understand, and there's a lot to say on what Sola Scripture is, but it is, uh, the again, I want to um, remind us, Scripture alone is the rule of faith for salvation and obedience. 
That is what Scripture alone means. It is about faith, salvation, and obedience uh, to God. What Stroller Scripture is not, is not believing that the Bible is the only book that contains or gives truth. Okay, that's, that's not what Stroller Scripture is. The Bible is not the only book that contains truth or the only book with knowledge in it. And some people believe <coughs> that sola scriptura means that any book that you have, you need to get rid of because this is the only book that we need. And that would be an incorrect understanding of sola scriptura. Because the, the Bible does not teach us about mathematics. The Bible teaches very little about science, all right? And the Bible doesn't teach us fully about every aspect of life and how we conduct business. Now, it has, it has things in there that teach us about business. It has things in there. But you can't go, you can't pick up your Bible and go to a, a business meeting uh, in, in front of a bunch of business leaders that, that brought you there and pull your Bible out and say, now, now turn to this passage because this passage is going to totally tell you how to run and organize your business. Uh, to be a successful uh, welding company, you need to read this, this uh, specific scripture. Because that's not the intent or the design of the Bible. The Bible was not written as a manual for life in general. Okay, It's not our guide for every aspect of how we conduct ourselves. You won't find all that in there. Now, Scripture does have principles to guide us through every aspect of life. That is there, and we're going to get into that here in a minute. But to say that it is the only book that contains truth or knowledge would be wrong. Because then why would we go to school and send our men uh, to seminary to learn? Because at seminary, they don't only learn from the Bible. They learn from men of old. Okay? Uh, we, we've talked a lot about Martin Luther today. We've talked a lot about uh, Huss. And we, we, we talk about John Calvin. And if you get into modern day uh, recently, we've uh, uh, encouraged you to read a few books from R.C. Sproul's and, and John MacArthur and other great men. And we don't want to say that, the, that what these men are writing are not truths or not uh, filled with truth in them. Okay, because not... Only the Bible is the only uh, book that contains truth. Now, understanding that, when we talk about the purpose of Scripture, and that's what we're going to get into here uh, as we read, the purpose of Scripture was never to be a manual for how to conduct your life in every area. That, that's not the design of the book. It does help us out in many areas, but pastors have struggled for many years on, you know, I wish the scriptures were more clear in this area so that it could be helpful. Well, that's not the design. God does give us wisdom. God gives us a brain to think and to draw wisdom out of scripture to deal with circumstances of life that are not always dealt with in scripture. And so when we look at our Bible this morning, when we read through the verses, 
There is so much help in here for us to live and to guide us into obedience, into salvation, to give us an understanding of who God is. And that is the, the, the design of the Bible is to give us, to teach us who God is and to teach us what his purpose is and to ultimately show us his, his grace and his plan for salvation. Uh, and there are areas in here, there are commandments on how to live, um, but the main thrust of the Bible is to point us to righteousness, to point us to godly living, and to point us to salvation, which ultimately glorifies God. Now, I hope that that statement it makes sense and you understand what I'm saying. Uh, and as we go here, we'll, we'll, we'll understand that even more. So turn to Psalms. 19 psalms chapter number 19 verses 7 through 11 we're just going to read through these uh, and it points out this is a psalm written by uh, david and we know that the headers of the psalm are not uh, god breathed uh, they're put here by man but they are very helpful the works and words of god is the header of psalm 19 there okay and this is a psalm written by uh, david in verse number seven, the law of the Lord is perfect. His law, his word, his instruction. The word law there uh, has different meanings uh, and throughout Scripture. It can refer directly to the law of Moses uh, and specifically even to the Ten Commandments. Um, and it, uh, it contains the law. Now, uh, in the New Testament, Jesus and other authors would uh, refer to the law, and that is what is written in the Old Testament. So when it says here that the law of the Lord is perfect, it's, it's talking about what we see here in the entirety of the Old Testament. His word is perfect, restoring the soul. And so the word of God, restore, it's perfect and it restores your soul. The testimonies of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The Bible can make wise men or uh, simple men wise. Uh, the precepts of the Lord are right and rejoicing the heart. They can cause the heart to rejoice. The commandments of the Lord is pure. Okay, His commandments are pure. You cannot uh, put anything into them. Uh, you cannot say anything about them that would not be uh, pure. The, the, his commandments are righteous and pure. They enlighten our eyes. The word of God, his commandments, his precepts, his laws, they enlighten our eyes to who? To the fear of the Lord. And it, it, that is clean and it doors forever. The respect, all of what scripture does is it culminates to the idea that our fear of the Lord is clean and it, it causes us to, to recognize who it is as the author of scripture is 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 the lord and causes us to fear him and and that fear endures forever the respect the judgments of the lord are true they are righteous altogether they are more desirable than gold okay god's word his judgments what he teaches that's more desirable than gold yes uh, than much fine gold sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. 
the Scripture has warnings for us. So the Old Testament here is talking about how profitable the Scripture is for us and how that we understand when we read it that the Word of God has so much in it for us to live. But again, understanding what it's talking about here. It's not talking about every aspect of our lives as far as you know, it doesn't teach us about math and, and, and science and, and English grammar. Now, you can get that from there, but it doesn't teach you the principles in there. We still have to use outside sources. But if you have Scripture, you can walk in accordance to what God's design for your life is. And that is what it's trying to get here how we obey Him, how we conduct ourselves in, in life. Uh, is found in Scripture as, as far as how we can glorify God. The purpose of Scripture, one of the purposes of Scripture is understanding it makes us righteous in how we live. Now let's move over to the New Testament. And there's lots in the Old Testament, uh, and we'll hit a couple of those here in a minute. Uh, but let's move to the New Testament to uh, 2 Timothy this is a letter written to Paul, or from Paul to Timothy, um, encouraging Timothy that times are going to get hard and, and things are going to get rough, and what you need to lean on and what you need to uh, to fall back on and, and to gain your strength from is Scripture. So Tyler read this for us, but we'll read it again. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, verse number 16. All Scripture is inspired by God. And we're, we're going to read through this slowly. Inspired by God. Uh, the idea given there is God breathed. Now, we've already touched on that, but it is given out by God. It is uh, spoken by God. 1 Thessalonians, and these should be up on the, the screen here. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse number 13. For this reason we also can, uh, <coughs> sorry, thank God that we are received the word of God, which you heard from us. You accept it not as the word of man, but from what is uh, really, it, from what it really is, the word of God, which, is, which also performs these work, uh, is work in your own believing. Okay, so the, 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 uh, this is Paul again talking about Scripture is given by God. Okay? And then in Peter, uh, 2 Peter 1, 21 and 22 gives the same um, uh, ideas that Scripture is given and breathed out by God. Okay? And so when we look at our Bible, we understand we are reading, and we, we've heard this before and we know this, but we are reading words written by God, spoke out by God, and impressed upon the authors uh, given um, their instruction by God. And we are not reading just words given through us through men, although the men are named in here, Paul and Peter and Timothy and, and the, the, the different authors of, of the books, uh, they were 
given the words to speak by God. And that's what uh, second, or First Thessalonians and, and Second Peter is talking about. Okay, Scripture here, as we go in verse uh, 16, it says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable. Okay, and so it's profitable for these areas. For teaching, okay? It is a divine instruction and complete for all we need in godliness. So the teachings of the Word of God are so important for us to live a godly, God-honoring life. And we see that in Colossians. If you want to write these down, it's Colossians 3.16. Let no word of Christ, uh, uh, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thanksgiving to, in your heart to God. Okay? Uh, the importance of and what the scriptures do, okay, are, are there. And then you got Acts 20, 21 and 22. Acts 20, 21 and 22. So let me testify to both Jews and Greeks repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Do I have, oh, yeah, well, that's good enough. Um, the the, the um, teaching here is that the Jews and the Greeks, let me see here. Go back to, can you go back to 20? How do, how I do not uh, shake from, all right, so this is what I was talking about. I get going and my mind stops working, so. You could read those, all right? Psalms, uh, Psalms 119, 97 through 105. And we're going to just read verses 105, okay? And this is a very um, known verse, okay? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. And, and that whole section talks about, and it's a very good section to read. It the, the talks about how the importance of God's word to us is and how we uh, view his word as a light, as a flashlight, as a lamp into our feet so we will not stumble. And it teaches us how to live a godly life. That is one of the uh, main goals of our main ideas of scriptures, how it teaches us to live. The second word there in verse 16 says, for reproof. Rebuke for wrong behavior and wrong belief. Scripture exposes sin. Scripture is uh, a very clear guidance on what sin is and how it exposes that. And so one of the things that Scripture is is a guidance on how we live, right? On, on understanding what sin is and what does not glorify God. Scripture shows us and, and, and brings us back to what is true and what wrong beliefs. 
what, what Luther was dealing with and what we deal with today is we look at Scripture and Scripture points us to what the truth is as far as uh, obeying, obeying God and, and knowing uh, the truths of Scripture we need to get that from Scripture. What happens in Luther's day and what's happening today is we are taking Scripture and then twisting it to mean something else and, and uh, perverting it to say something else and, and taking it out of context and, and not reading the context of which Scripture was in. And so we make it say something it's not. <clears throat> and that's something as believers that we need to be very careful that we don't do ourselves and that we recognize uh, that is being done in pulpits all across America, whether it's in uh, our own uh, churches, whether uh, Bible-believing type churches or churches that uh, are teaching false gospels and false religions, and they'll take Scripture and they'll pervert it. And so the, the reproof here is rebuking for wrong behaviors, sinful behaviors, things that we should not uh, do or con and conduct ourselves in. And it also will correct us in wrong beliefs on Scripture, that Scripture is, uh, alone uh, will teach us how we are to be saved. It is not by works. It is not by indulgence. It is not by uh, only uh, obeying these certain rules of, or laws that we set up or, uh, or any of that. And Scripture clearly talks to, uh, the, to that subject where we don't, believe that obeying a certain set of laws is going to obtain salvation. And so that is where the word reproof there means is that it, it keeps us um, uh, in line with what Scripture is teaching. And again, that is what they were dealing with then and we still deal with that today. Hebrews 4 uh, verses 12 and 13. Just write these down. These are good passages that talk about how re, uh, the scriptures are good for, uh, for that. Hebrews 12, or Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. The next word in the, there is for correction. Okay, scripture is not a, uh, only rebuke. Uh, rebukes for wrong behavior, but also points us into godly living. Okay, we don't want to look at Scripture as only a a book that teaches us how not to to do things, and and that points out only our sin. Scripture also uh, is, and, and the idea given here with uh, correction is to take somebody that is walking down a path and move them to a, another path that is the right direction to go. And that is what Scripture does. You're walking this way, and it not only tells you, hey, the direction you're going here is wrong and sinful, but it also points you to the path that is right and teaches you what is right on that path. Now, a very important aspect of that. Um, and we, we can see that again here. Godly living is, uh, the example is in Psalms 119. We'll go here, Psalms 119, 9 through 11. Psalms 119, verses 9 through 11. And it talks about uh, how we are to conduct ourselves. The fear of the Lord is clean, 
enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. Now, we read this earlier, but in keeping them, there is great rewards. And so this is giving us the understanding how important it is for us to know that Scripture is the one that gives us instructions on how to live godly. And we see that um, in the love chapter and how we ought to conduct ourselves. We'll see that here. Uh, and, and we see that throughout Paul's epistles. He constantly is telling us, this is the way sinful people live, and this is the way that godly people live. Sinful people indulge in the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and all of those things. And, and righteous people, people that are living a God-honoring, a God-fearing life, are those that are not fighting with one another, and, and are loving one another, and are patient with one another. And we see that. Uh, as a part of this correction. So Scripture not only rebukes for wrong behavior, but it also encourages us in the right behavior to have. And then it says here at the end of verse 16, uh, uh, training for righteousness. The Bible, is to not, uh, the Bible is not used only for instruction in wrong behavior, but in right behavior as well. Oh, I wrote that twice. Look at there. Um, uh, the, the, again, the instruction in righteousness. So it, it, the, the, um, in the correction, it points us to what is righteous, and then it also trains us in righteousness. And that is what the end of the verse is talking about. Uh, we won't go to all of these, but Romans 10.10 10, you want to write these down, 1 Timothy 6.11, Philippians 4, uh, 8-9, and Galatians 5.16. Let's go to Galatians 5 and verse 16. Galatians 5 and verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Okay? The, the training in righteousness is we walk by the Spirit, and the Spirit is the one that breathes out the God's Word in instruction. And when we follow the trainings and the, the, and the precepts that are in God's Word, we will not fulfill the desires of our flesh, our fleshly desires. And lastly, what I want to point out as we, as we look here in, in, in Timothy uh, in verse 17, it says, so that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. So scripture is God-breathed. It's there for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, and for every good work. So the man of God, and this specifically is teach, talking to Timothy here as a pastor, but it can be uh, uh, the same for you and I, and the idea is the same for you and I, that we are adequately equipped through Scripture for every good work. Scripture is uh, adequately here to teach us about salvation, 
about our response to God in salvation and also on how that we live in a godly, God-honoring life. Now, um, I'm not going to go on about salvation as far as in Scripture because that's what we're going to be dealing with when we talk about faith alone, grace alone, and by Christ. And, and that's really, get, we'll get more in depth into what the Bible teaches about salvation. But I wanted to try, and, uh, and I, I'm, uh, you guys were very gracious this morning. Um, like I said, and, and I'm just going to be uh, personable with you this morning. Um, I get very excited when I get to teach and to preach, and I, and I spend a lot of amount of time studying and so on, and um, sometimes it flows and sometimes it doesn't, and today I felt like it was a little bit choppy, but what I really want you to understand and get from today is that God's Word is of the utmost importance in our life. Sola Scriptura does not mean that there isn't any other good books out there. We need to be reading good books from good authors. But what Sola Scriptura we're really focusing on as the, the, the men came up with this years ago is fighting the belief that we can be saved and be righteous and live uh, in ways uh, that please God that we don't find in Scripture. That, that, that is a possibility. And what, I mean by, and what I mean is what they were doing in the Catholic Church is the indulgence. We don't find that in Scripture. Uh, we don't find that we can pay for our sins in any other way but by the blood of the cross. And by faith in Christ is the only way we can be forgiven our sins. It doesn't matter how big your pocketbook is. And that the truths for salvation are contained in these books, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And as we look at Scripture, we are holding God's infallible book. I was listening, the, the, the Catholic um, have a, a podcast that teaches Catholic theology, and they were talking about how they don't believe that the Pope is uh, that can, he can teach infallibly. But what the Pope talks, when he speaks from the Word of God, it is as if God was speaking through him. Uh, the, the whole idea is that the Pope has this special authority that no one else has given him by God. And so when he says something that is not in line with Scripture, we need to just believe it and understand that he would never do anything outside of what God would ask. Well, that is what we refute. We only take what, what's Scripture. So, if we were to understand and believe that the man of God, Tyler, Jeremy, or myself, can stand up here and say anything we want, and that you have to accept it because we are the man of God, do you understand how dangerous that can be? And we see that in churches all across the United States and across the world. It's just believe what the man of God says. Absolutely not. Now, hopefully you can trust what the man of God behind the pulpit is saying, but what you always do is you go back and you study it yourself and say, hey, uh, Mark, you said this here. Could you explain what you mean by that? And if I am not willing to explain it or cannot give you a correct answer, then I am not handling God's word correct, and therefore I am wrong. 
It doesn't mean that I am right because I said it. It means I'm wrong if I don't adequately handle God's word correctly. We must always handle his word in a correct manner. And his word on salvation, godliness, and righteousness of God is final. And if we are not getting our ideas from that, from Scripture, we're getting them from the wrong place. And if you're reading a book, and the book that you're reading does not line up with what Scripture says, then the book is wrong. That doesn't mean that the Bible's wrong and the, the other book you're reading is right. And it doesn't matter who the author is. If the author is not accurately uh, portraying what is written in Scripture, then the author is wrong, not Scripture. And that is what Sola Scriptura is pointing us to, that we need to understand that this book is infallible and is correct in everything it teaches uh, to, to salvation and to godliness and to understanding who God is. Now, again, um, some days you feel like you get up here and you're, you're on, uh, you're, you're really clear in what you're saying. If you feel like um, I said something that you might be confusing or didn't quite understand, please come talk to me. Um, but... Um, if you really want to learn a lot about what we're teaching uh, through this next, there is a, a tremendous amount on, uh, online that will give you very good resources on learning about what Sola Scripture is. I spent uh, six and a half hours just listening to one podcast on uh, the understanding of what Sola and where it came from and, and how it's important. And so, that, I mean, and that's just barely uh, scratches the surface of how much is out there. But also, fall in love with your Bible and know it inside and out. So that when you hear something taught by, by people maybe that are close to us here and the, and the other religions that are around us, you'll be quick to say, that is not right. That is not accurate. And, and be able to go to Scripture and say, this is what the Bible says about what you're saying. And because the Bible says it, you're wrong. Now, we say that in love. We say that in, in respect to them. But we say it uh, believing that no matter what they say, if it is not accurate to what the Word of God says, it's not, it's not truth. We, we a mere truth in light of Scripture, all truths. There's so much more to be said on it, but I'm not going to go uh, any longer on it. Uh, again, if you're wanting to know, there's hours and hours and hours of studying in Sola Scriptura, and really in all five of them. And we won't be able to hit every aspect of it. But I do encourage you, study it out and, and, and learn what these are in depth for yourself. It's an important subject for us today. And the more our world gets unsure, the more we need to be sure of our Bible and what's in it and what is taught. And we need to be able to teach our children and grandchildren the truths of the Word of God. They're not going to get it in school. They're not going to get it in, in other places. So we need to be able to teach God's Word accurately. Well, let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you for your word, uh, Lord. And even through the unclarity of, of uh, a preacher, Lord, your word is still strong. Your word is still 
uh, pure. And Lord, you use uh, fallen men to uh, give understanding to your word. And Lord, I, I thank you for allowing us to be able to do that. And Lord, I thank you for your word and your truths found in it. And Lord, that we can see how your grace and faith and who you are as Christ and how we can glorify you. And we get all of that by reading your word. And Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged this morning that we have a God that loves and cares for us and that wrote us a book telling us of his love for us. Lord, I just pray that we would uh, love on one another this week and encourage one another as we, as we leave today. In your name, amen.